And today, as we uh, approach this theme of hope, it, it, we kind of take a break in our study through the wisdom um, subject that we've been covering for the last four weeks. But, um, but I was thinking hope nicely fits into this discussion as well, that understanding wisdom and, and finding this role of hope and the role that hope plays in all of that, to me, um, is very helpful. Because, you know, when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about a way of seeing how do we see this world rightly? I remember having a, a professor when I was studying philosophy in grad school saying, the whole point of this is to, feel, is to think rightly about the right things. And I thought, oh, that's, that's a great way of saying it, isn't it? That, that it's not just enough to think correctly, but are we thinking about the things that really matter? And this really is what wisdom invites us to to think deeply, authentically, truly about the things that ultimately matter most. And I think hope is like this window into those things. It's a way of looking at life that uh, we're reminded as we begin this new year to see life through this lens. And I love Christmas. Not everybody does. How many of you, how many of you love Christmas? Okay. How many of you? Not so much. Okay. All right. Right, you're afraid you don't want to be Scrooge or the Grinch, right? But there's some people that there's a sort of dread around this holiday season. But um, but I'm one of those that's a fan of Christmas. I, I love uh, this time of year. I love the memories. We were just putting up our tree with our kids yesterday, and um, each one of these old ornaments that my family has um, passed down have so much memory to them. Um, they're getting a little beat up at this point, but but each one of those is kind of this treasured object for me. And I think of this as like some of my sweetest memories around this time, not just from my own life, but um, from my kids as well, that uh, some of their sweet little childhood were like doing hospitality this coming Friday, hospitality night downtown. And I still remember my like little kids running around with these little like glow in the dark helicopter things that you shoot up in the air. And I was like, oh man, like life doesn't get better than this, um, except that life moves on, right? And now I'm looking... At my old teenage kids laying on the couch and, um, <laughs> some of that magic is gone, right? <laughs> so now I like listen to like Phoebe Bridger's Christmas album, which is a little like, wah, wah, wah. and, um, <laughs> and Patty's like, what are we going to listen just to another melancholy midlife Christmas album again? And I'm like, it's kind of beautiful, right? That's, <laughs> I, I sort of love the, the bittersweet Christmas feel. Um, but the truth is that I think it's a season where, in so many ways, it reminds us of the best things of humanity. We um, think of Christmas and we think of warmth, we think of happiness, we think of fam- family, we think of togetherness. But often the way that story gets told these days is through sort of the hallmark version, doesn't it? That... Um, We know really isn't real life, but we like to pretend for a moment that it is. It's this sort of nostalgic recreation of happiness. I remember reading an article just this last week in preparation for Thanksgiving, and it was like 10 different, you know, strategy um, tips and techniques to get through Thanksgiving with your family. And, you know, you go like, right, because it's not as easy as it sounds. We... um, have this beautiful image of a Thanksgiving meal, but know that family dynamics, even these days, are um, 
constantly there's division, there's all kinds of undercurrents behind all of that. And then we go into a, a wonderful season like Christmas and spend, 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 right? I, I just read this statistic that um, Americans spend $15.2 billion on unwanted gifts. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> you're like, but you know, you unwrap it and you're like, oh, thanks. Um, $15.2 billion trying to, to recreate a sense of happiness and hopefulness. And I, I know this sounds dim, dismal starting out, but, um, but it's why we need to reorient. But so often in our pursuit of happiness and hope, we get it wrong. We chase after the wrong things. We do Christmas right, but in a way that it turns out misses the point. And so the power of Advent is reorienting our eyes on what makes this season truly profound, where our hope ultimately rests. Advent is a season where we remember this display of power in the most humble state. It's God's rescue plan for the world. And it comes in a way so unexpected. Two things that you would never put together. The, the, the power that holds the stars with these tiny little hands of a child. This baby born in this forgotten space. And I love as we think about our own Christmas and the brokenness we find as we rewind Christmas after Christmas after Christmas, we go back to the original and find in many ways a very broken Christmas story of a woman who's in her faithfulness finds herself in this barn out on the fringes in a place that must have felt so unsafe to deliver a child They've returned to their hometown and yet there's no family to take them in because obedience even in God's plan has led Joseph to this place of disgrace. And here this faithful couple in this meek little stable gives birth to the Son of God. And I love how angels proclaim in that moment to shepherds, of course, like off on the fringes, peace on earth. And Advent is this reminder that this declaration has occurred peace on earth, and yet we still find ourselves in a world that feels so broken. And Advent isn't just simply about looking back to this one birth, but it's about a second return. That Advent simply means coming, and we live in the tension between these two comings. That this incarnation, this moment of God coming to earth shows just how much God loves each one. This gift of sacrifice and of love. And this plan begins to unfold that we find ourselves again caught up in awaiting the second advent, the second coming. And so to orient ourselves to this life, to live our lives in such a way that we're seeing rightly about the, the right things requires us to have one eye looking backward and one eye looking forward. I think this is called monovision. They'll actually make people's glasses so that one sees close and the other sees far away. I don't know if they actually do this anymore. But it's a good image, isn't it? That somehow to see clearly, we're looking backward towards the past and forward in anticipation towards the future. 
And when we lose sight of one or the other, what tends to happen is we drift. I think this often often happens to us through life where we're going through it and all of a sudden the worries or the pressures or the anxieties or the stresses start to catch up with us. The lack of control turns into blame, turns into pessimism, turns into despair, turns into cynicism. Our hearts get heavy and then we come back into this season and we reorient ourselves on this truth, on this hope and are reminded that one day all things will be made new. When I sit with people in pastoral counseling, it's interesting. There's, there's generally always one of two things that I notice and sometimes both. Most of the time when I sit with somebody in counseling, you sooner or later discover an underlying fear that oftentimes as we go through life, there's this, this worry deep down in us. But the other thing I notice equally as much, if not more so, is a deep sense of longing that we, as we go through life, as we live in this kind of waiting period in between, find our hearts pulled towards something bigger. And I think you see this in everybody watching a Hallmark movie and everybody going out and shopping for Christmas gifts. There's underneath it all this deep longing in the heart. And I think there's kind of, you know, thinking through this lens of Christmas, kind of three different approaches to how we meet that longing. And I want to identify the first two and then suggest a third. The third that I'm just going to, for the sake of, call the Christian way of approaching longing. But as we think about this longing, as these deep hopes occur, the first is to just keep chasing after it over and over and over again. To think that maybe it's that next gift or that next purchase or that next thing. We chase after it in this unquenchable thirst to fulfill this longing with something substantial that this world has to offer. And what we find over and over again is that that longing is unquenchable. You've all heard the statement that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results, right? But but I think so often we come around to Christmas and what we do is we overspend and charge the credit card and in the end just have a mess to clean up afterwards, right? And with that, a little bit of guilt or debt or whatever the lingering effects are of that. You've heard me mention this before, but... Uh, Blaise Pascal talks about this idea of life as a chase and says we're like a hunter pursuing a rabbit where when we catch it, we like don't know what to do with it. That the happiest we get is to be on the verge of acquiring that thing we believe will make us happy. And so you see the brokenness in this and yet so often we're caught up in a cycle that we just can't get out of. The second path, which is maybe a little bit more mature than that, is sort of the jaded path that has kind of given up that there's an answer to this. This person has realized that this world is all there is, and so they sort of resign themselves to this longing as just sort of a part of life. I love that the book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible, but I think that's kind of what that whole book is about. The author of that writes, man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. 
For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. A sort of resignation to the fact that, you know what, this is as good as it gets, so you know what, you might as well enjoy it as best you can. It's a way of protecting our hearts, I think. And, and lingering underneath that oftentimes is a bit of resentment. Maybe a tad bit of superiority with it too. But the third path that I want to suggest to you today, which we'll call the path of hope, I'm going to attribute largely to C.S. Lewis. Um, he basically says this, that if our longings and appetites cannot be realized in this world, that simply means we've not reached our true country. He says it like this, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep myself alive in myself. Um, I'm sorry. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. And I love this. It is a way of sort of embracing all of this life to, to hold the joy without needing to clutch to it and cling to it, to savor it with gratitude, to recognize it as the gift that it is, a window into something so much more. And we get these little tastes of it here and now, these moments of joy. And when they come, they kind of catch us off guard, don't they? And how desperately we want to recreate those things time after time and never quite can, right? That joy comes in and reveals something bigger. It says that those, those appetites, those longings in us are made to be satisfied. Just not here. They're a sign of what is to come a window into what awaits. And as we live in this space, we, we practice gratitude for each one of these gifts. I um, have shared this a few times now, and I put it in a note to you guys yesterday, but this idea of gratitude, this savoring these things, that, that suggested in an article that I read, they were saying that uh, the posture of noticing five things a day leads to a sort of increase in, in blessing. But even more than that, this author was saying that, um, given some comparative surveys, the ones that thought of one thing a day, but thought of five reasons why, experienced a deeper level of satisfaction and gratitude. And I was thinking, oh, that's so curious, but, but when you practice it, it's kind of cool when you think about that thing and then think about why, what is it about that? And as you digest those things, you come up with five things. And what you find is that each one of those five, you could probably come up with another five. And when you pay attention like this in gratitude, you're paying attention to these gifts that sustain us, that give us hope. And we need it. We need it because life is difficult and it is hard. And so often in this season, it's, twi- it's got this twinge of a heartbreak to it. 
And this is the thing, when you embrace the hope, when you embrace the goodness in life, you end up having to embrace the heartbreak as well. That we hold two of these realities at the same time. But that the hope speaks into the heartbreak and reminds us that even that is doing a deep work. A poet that I like named David White writes this about heartbreak, and I just think it's so profound. He says, heartbreak is how we mature. Yet we use the word heartbreak as if it only occurs when things have gone wrong. An unrequited love, a shattered dream, a child lost before their time. Heartbreak, we hope, is something we hope we can avoid. Something to guard against, a chasm to be carefully looked for and then walked around. The hope is to find a way to place our feet where the elemental forces of life will keep us in the manner to which we have want to be accustomed and which will keep us from the losses that all other human beings have experienced without exception since the beginning of conscious time. And this is the key, he says, but heartbreak may be the very essence of being human, of being on the journey from here to there, and of coming to care deeply for what we find along the way. I love this. He's saying that a heart that is broken is a heart that is living well, it's living fully into the world, that we're savoring not only the good, but at the same time holding with it the sense of loss. That these two things keep us looking forward and realizing that our fulfillment lies ahead where those longings are realized and where that heartbreak is made whole. We talked about this a little bit last week, how, how Tolkien has referred to this life as a long defeat. And uh, if you read, you know, the Lord of the Rings, you, you know that these people are battling against this sort of darkness as it's moving in, you know, slowly but surely and trying to hold it back. Gladriel talks about fighting against the long defeat. But something that Tolkien understood was that even in the midst of that, when we stand against that, that there would be these sort of final moments of victory where God steps in and sets all things right. And for him, it was always eagles coming in. Do you know this from the stories? In the midst of the battle, when the crisis seemed most severe, is when the eagles would come. And Christians, I think we live our life in this reality that we go right now, we are on this journey and we are in a time of waiting, and it's often a difficult one. Oftentimes we bear very real sorrows and loss. And yet we hold fast to this hope. And in the midst of it, receive these moments of deep gratitude and joy. John 1, 14 through 18 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And as we come to Christmas, we come to savor this light coming into the darkness. This light that comes in and pushes back the darkness. It reveals the reality of God's kingdom. And I love how it was there physically. They touched him. 
They ate with him. He walked with them through their lives, this reality of God coming into this story and setting things right. And we've talked about this, how Jesus has taught an ethic that was so backwards to anything we understood that the greatest would be the least, that to lead you are the servant of all, that to live you must die. But Jesus wasn't just the bearer of this message, he was the proof of it. And after he died, he resurrected as the first fruit, the reality of what lies beyond. And before Jesus left, he left us with this beautiful promise In John 14, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And this promise, Hebrews tells us, is like an anchor for us. Hebrews 6, 17 through 20 says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope said before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. This idea, I think our understanding of anchor, right? We have hope as an anchor, which feels like, well, isn't that sort of holding you back, right? You drop an anchor so the ship doesn't move. But, but in this time, they had this method of anchoring that was called kedging. And they would use it in the midst of a storm. And when the boat was being tossed and the, had to drop the sails so that they wouldn't be ripped to shreds, they would somebody, send somebody out in a little boat with an anchor in it. And in Kedjian, you can go Wikipedia later, but they would take this boat out into safe harbor and drop that anchor. And then they would pull the ship into the harbor. And I love this image as Jesus going first. Jesus is this one in this like little boat sailing through the storm. And this was incredibly dangerous. Like the person that went first in this little boat, this little um, life raft, basically taking this anchor forward and then dropping this anchor in the hope to come and pulling us towards it. And this is the beauty of this hope. It's a work that God has done on our behalf. Where even in the midst of the storm, we have this fixed point pulling us towards eternity. Instead of holding us back, it's pulling us forward. That we live in anticipation of this truth that has been vowed to us by Jesus that he'll return. And so in these times where we experience anxiety or worry or longing, we remember that this means that we've just not yet arrived where we belong. And sometimes we hold on to that so desperately, don't we? I read this recently from the late Michael Gerson. He says, even when strength fails, there's perseverance. Even when perseverance fails, there's hope. And even when hope fails, there's love. And love never fails. It's like what Paul was saying. (laughs) 
We love because he first loved us. We hope because our hope is secure in that love. And some of you today may be going like, gosh, I have so little hope right now, right? You look around and the news feed comes up and you're like, oh no, right? And you spiral down that little uh, spiral of despair, impending doom. We see so much wrong with a broken world. But there's this light that's flickering. And here's the power of this as we think about our guests, John and Heather, being here today. We go, oh, we don't just hold on to this hope, but we take it and we use it to light the hope in others. We do this by living into this message of love that Jesus says, though you're here for a short time right now, this is your opportunity to let that light shine. And you might wonder, what do I have to give? I I love how Peter and John are asked by somebody for money and their response is, well, we, we don't have gold or silver, but what we do have, we give to you. And here's the truth that any of you that have received this hope of Christ have something to give. That little candle flame there is your own heart. And part of the gift of this season is to realize that, that we can open up that heart to others generously. That we don't have to clutch to the things of this world or to hold on so tightly to our possessions, but instead have this freedom to live in this place of trust and with what we've been given to be generous, to give our time. Whatever that is, wrapping packages for Unidos, finding ways to bring meals to people that are in need, opportunities to reach out and bring a word of encouragement to somebody else. This gift of hope. This is, Peter says, this is the key to evangelism. That we're ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. But it requires a seeing clearly with an eye looking backward to the reality of Christ's first coming and with an eye of hope towards the future for his one day return. On this, our first Sunday of Advent, we gaze through this window of hope. And my prayer is that we would be reminded that the love of God has come into hum- with humility into this world. That this love seeks to draw each one of us in, to fill us with deep joy. That our sorrows and heartbreaks are but for a moment. And that ultimately, all things will be made new. I have some questions for you this morning to think about as we begin. Starting with gratitude. And coming off of Thanksgiving, you know, you may have gone around the table and asked this question, but what, what is filling you at this time with gratitude? And can you spend some time and reflect, reflect more deeply on why? Such a good practice. We did this with my family at the table. And it was so fun to go through that, to list these reasons, to come up with these answers, and then to just pause and go, oh, how do you feel right now? And for each one, the sense of hope. Question two, how is your hope? What things are causing you anxiety or worry at this time of year? 
And some of those are perceived. Some of those are very real. Some of those are heartbreaking. But how can you give those things to God and let him carry those with you? Number three, can you respond in trust? What is keeping you from placing your hope in Christ? And sometimes there's past disappointments or things that we, that make us hold back. The challenge, the discipline at this time of year is not only to persevere, but to rekindle this hope. And lastly, what have you been given that you might give away? How might you build hope in another this Christmas? I think this is what you'll find. As you give that hope away, your hope is renewed and restored and rekindled even stronger. Would you stand with me? And I'd love to invite you tonight to our Advent service. It will be a time of just continuing to reflect deeper, to ponder the truths of this story that we just we get to share and unite around. If you'd like prayer, if your heart is struggling for hope, we would love to pray with you this morning. We'll have people down front to pray. But as a blessing today, I would love to leave you with Romans 15, 13. Paul writes, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. God bless you guys.